and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, 1952 UFO Swarm over Washington, D.C. And I found this article and video on HuffPost.com, and it's from September 21st, 2016, written by Alejandro Rojas, and it's titled, When UFOs Invaded Washington, D.C. It starts off, Many times people ask if aliens are here, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, you may be surprised to know, in 1952, Washington, D.C. was buzzed by UFOs. Jets were scrambled, but according to the jet pilots, they could not catch the mysterious objects. These UFO incursions took place on several occasions, and on one of them, U.S. Air Force UFO investigators were prepared to observe the whole affair. Sure enough, they witnessed one of these events from the control tower at Washington National Airport. Now just stop and think about that for one second. We have UFOs witnessed by the public, by Air Force investigators from the airport tower in Washington, D.C., and by Air Force pilots mid-flight. I don't think you're going to get any better eyewitness accounts than that. Perhaps the most thorough examination into the UFO issue was conducted by the U.S. Air Force. They began their investigation in 1948. It was called Project, Sing, Project Sign. Then its name was changed to Project Grudge. And finally changed once again to Project Blue Book. It's interesting if you think about the terminology here. From Project Sign to Project Grudge. And I think a lot can be said about the attitude of the people who were in charge of implementing those investigations. With a name like Grudge, I wouldn't have expected too much to come from them. The article goes on and says, As for the findings, Air Force states, as a result of these investigations and studies and experience gained from investigating UFO reports since 1948, the conclusions of Project Blue Book are no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force has ever given any indication of threat to our national security. There has been no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified represent technological developments or principles beyond the range of present-day scientific knowledge. And there has been no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified are extraterrestrial vehicles. However, upon closer examination of thousands of files released regarding Blue Book investigation, it becomes apparent that the Air Force's conclusions were not shared by everyone involved in the investigation, and that there were some truly fascinating cases that remain unsolved. The article goes on. UFO sightings over Washington, D.C. in July 1952 made worldwide headlines and left the Air Force dazed and confused, according to the head of Project Blue Book at the time. The events spanned several days and included multiple radar identifications of unknown aircraft, some of which were correlated by witnesses on the ground. Many of the sightings caused the Air Force to scramble jet fighters, and in each of these cases, the UFOs outmaneuvered the jets. This all culminated in what may be the most important official Air Force UFO investigation of all time. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? We have UFOs uh, observed from the ground. 
We have jet fighters scrambled. We have those jet fighters making observations of the UFOs in the environment and acting in ways that are not physically possible for a human-powered vehicle to act. But in spite of all of this eyewitness account, the U.S. military comes out and says, doesn't exist. The article goes on. The investigation of the events in Washington, D.C. is best explained in a book written by the lead Air Force investigator, Captain Edward Ruppelt, the head of Project Blue Book, from its inception in early 1952 until late 1953. The summer of 1952 was a busy time for Blue Book investigators. Ruppelt referred to this period as the Big Flap. Some of the most credible reports were coming from the Washington, D.C. area. On July 20th, Ruppelt was flying to Washington on unrelated business. His plane landed at Washington National Airport in the morning, and he grabbed a paper to catch up on the latest news. There he found a big, bold, capitalized font, Interceptors Chase Flying Saucers Over Washington, D.C. Ruppelt immediately called his superior officer at the Pentagon and was briefed on the incident later that day at Bowling Air Force Base. At 11.40 p.m. the previous night, seven objects were caught on radar at Washington National Airport. At first, the radar operators thought the objects were a formation of planes, but nothing like that was scheduled. The objects moved slowly at about 100 to 130 miles per hour, but then would streak across the scope in sudden burst of speed. The targets had moved all over the area, including over prohibited areas such as the airspace above the White House and the U.S. Capitol building. One of the objects was clocked at speeds of more than 7,000 miles per hour. One week later, it happened again. However, this time the Air Force was ready. As soon as reports began coming in, several people from the Pentagon hurried out to Washington National Airport. At about 10.30 p.m., Washington National Airport had once again picked up the slow-moving targets. The objects were in an arc surrounding the Washington, D.C. area. The same radar operators were present from the prior event, so they were prepared and worked quickly to track the UFOs. They contacted Andrews Air Force Base, who confirmed they were also tracking the objects. So you can see here we have sightings from the ground, by multiple people concerned enough that they went to the airport. And then we have two separate airport installations. It looks like one civilian and one military who have actually tracked these objects on radar. So that would tell us that these are physical objects. At 11.30 p.m. it was decided to call in the interceptors to check out the objects. Two Lockheed F-94 Starfires were in the air by midnight. At this point, reporters and photographers were asked to leave the radar room. Ruppelt says the radar room was clear because some Air Force officers thought this might be the night they could get a good, up-close look at a UFO. Let's read that again. Ruppelt says the radar room was cleared because some Air Force officers thought this might be the night they would get a good, up-close look at a UFO. Well, what does that tell you? Air Force personnel thought, hey man, we're going to see a UFO tonight. So what do we want to do? The first thing we want to do is make sure that nobody else gets to see it. Does that sound like disclosure to you?
Does that sound like transparency to you? So the people that were there to look at the radar, the news media, along with the Air Force personnel, they were told to leave. But yet when someone says, hey, we think we saw a UFO, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, the conspiracy here is to cover up evidence. The conspiracy here is not to create or imagine evidence. Let's just get that straight. The article goes on. The next day, the press reported that fighter pilot Lieutenant William Patterson said, and this is from the, this is from the uh, Air Force fighter jet pilot reportedly, I tried to make contact with the bogies below 1,000 feet, but the radar controllers vectored us around. I saw several bright lights. I was at my maximum speed, but even then I had no closing speed. I ceased chasing them because I saw no chance of overtaking them. I was vectored into new objects. Later, I chased a single bright light, which I estimated about 10 miles away. I lost visual contact within about 2 miles. The papers were once again packed with headlines about the UFO chase. Ruppelt flew to Washington, and when he got to his hotel, he was mobbed by reporters and photographers. According to Ruppelt, the Air Force was in a state of confusion, unable to dodge the public's fascination with the Washington events. On July 29th, Major General John Sanford notified the press that he would have a press conference on the Washington UFO incidents. Now let's look at this. What's happening here? Well, the U.S. Air Force temporarily lost control of the narrative. The UFO phenomenon was just so obvious, it was just so in your face, that they couldn't deny it any longer. So they had to do something to get control of the narrative. The last thing in the world that the people at the very top want to do is to let the masses believe that there's some power above them that they aren't in control of. If the public would ever lose face that our own government, our own military, isn't the top dog on the planet, in their mind, who knows what could happen. So it's of utmost importance for them to deny that there's any sort of unknown phenomena or power that could overtake them and displace them. The article goes on, according to Ruppel, the Air Force was in a state of confusion, unable to dodge the public's fascination with Washington events on July 29th. Major General John Sanford notified the press that he would have a press conference on the Washington UFO incidents. Ruppel felt it a bit odd that none of the men in the radar room at Washington National Airport were involved in the press conference. Instead, the press conference was held by Major General Sanford and another officer, neither of whom had been fully briefed. Well, that should tell you everything that you need to know. The Air Force was not in the least bit interested in disseminating this information. The last thing in the world they wanted was an eyewitness to this event, a credible eyewitness from that radar room, telling the press what we already know, that UFOs are real and that they were there. So what you can see going on here with this Major, with this, you know, Major General Sanford is regaining control of that narrative. And they can do that by limiting the information that's released and by debunking people that point out the truth. Sanford told the press that Air Force UFO investigators had turned out to be mostly misidentifications. 
but that the other 20% of the reports that came in were from credible observers of relatively incredible things. Now you see what he's got to do there? This is narrative control. So people saw all these different UFO phenomena, and he says, well, most of them didn't amount to anything, but some of them were real. Now this is a this is an effort to minimize the truth, calm people down, and comfort them. So the, he, what he's doing here is he's, he's reducing the news down to a, a digestible level, something that people can accept. He said the Air Force would continue to investigate those reports, but they suspected that the Washington, D.C. events may have been false radar re- readings due to temperature inversions. Now, here you go. He's leaving people uh, the open possibility in their mind that UFOs are real. Just like you would leave a child the possibility that Santa Claus is real, or the Tooth Fairy is real. So he's not going to create too much panic in their mind by just telling them, hey, these things are uh, a complete hoax, whatever. He's going to come in as a father figure He's going to allow them to entertain the notion that UFOs are indeed an actual phenomena. But at the same time, he's going to come into the back door and he's going to minimize everything. And this is a, this is a classic case of mind control. And it works, it works marvelously on the public. Of course, the article goes on to point out that uh, Rupel didn't think that, that was the case at all. If you look at this case, and I would highly recommend you go over there to the HuffPost and read it, you see this case, clear back from 1952. This is the blueprint for the military dealing with the UFO phenomena and how to handle the public. And they're still using that same blueprint today. Even with these recent releases of the Tic Tac videos that were given to Tong DeLong's group, you had a situation where... Uh, multiple UFOs were sighted by fighter pilots in this Uf, this uh, Nimitz battle group. Undeniable. You had recorded data from radar um, uh, radar installations on the boats. But the first thing they do is they send in the men in black that were completely unrelated to the phenomena. They abscond with the data. And 15 years later, the the video is dribbled out in this blurred-up version and given to DeLong's group. What's going on? They're controlling the na- they are controlling the narrative. The U.S. military, the U.S. government, the people in the know, this breakaway civilization, whatever you want to call them, it's got to the point where UFO phenomena is so apparent, it's happening so often. If they just said it never happens, well, they'd be laughed off the television. But what they can do is they can minimize it. They can say, well, 80% of this stuff is probably weather phenomena or mechanical failure or whatever. And then they'll send out publications like Popular Mechanics or whatever science magazine to uh, mock and debunk anybody that asks questions. But at the same time as doing this, they'll leave the door open and they'll say things like, well, 80% of the sightings are probably fake, 20% of them we can't explain, but we think we'll be able to explain them at some point. So they're allowing people to have the notion that UFOs exist while they 
maintain and guard all of the relevant data and evidence. It's a real bait and switch. And you see it's been going on here for almost 100 years now. So every time one of these private groups comes out where they have mysteriously been given uh, UFO videos, UFO metamaterials, whatever, it's not a conspiracy theory to simply ask the question of why were these people given that data and why wasn't that data just released to the public in general. Just like it happened back in 1952 when we have multiple accounts of UFOs swarming over Washington, D.C., accounts from general public, from news media, from, from Air Force fighter pilots. All these eyewitness accounts, eyewitness accounts on radar, but yet all of that evidence is discounted and the public is simply told to go back to sleep. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, saying over and out.